Y'all ready for the Christmas party after church today? Two o'clock, right? Two o'clock. So if you don't have your little five to ten dollar white elephant gift, run over to Walmart or something. What's over here? Target. CVS. CVS across the street at Target and get something. It gets something useful. Also, New Year's Eve night, which is uh, uh, not this coming Saturday, but the following Saturday, the Saturday night after Christmas morning, the talent show. We're going to have a very special first place prize for the talent show, and it is an iPad 2. Ignore the devil. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> all right, all right. Good to see you all here this morning. I got a word for you from the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. You got a choice. You can either try to move from sight to faith, or you can move from faith to sight. And if you start with sight and try to move towards faith, you never make it. If you start with faith and move towards sight. You always make it. Faith always becomes sight. Sight never becomes faith. If you start with faith, you get faith and sight. If you start with sight, you just got sight. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you are demanding that we believe. Today we will respond, and we receive your word. In Jesus' name, amen. It's reading a report of a pilot that was flying a plane. This happened several years ago. She was flying a plane, and all of a sudden, all of her instruments on her console began to, all of the, the alarms began to go off, and she looked at her console, and it said that she was flying too close to the ground, and it was warning her that she had better pull up or else she was dangerously close to, to hitting the ground. And she didn't realize she was flying that low, so she grabbed the stick and pulled up with all of her might and crashed directly into the ground because what she did not realize was that she was flying upside down. When you are flying upside down and you try to pull up, you actually pull down. When you are flying upside down and you try to pull yourself out of trouble, you actually pull yourself deeper into trouble. When you are flying upside down and you don't know which way is up, the best thing to do is stop and reorient yourself so that you know which way is up. All she had to do was turn right side up. What I'd like to suggest to you today, and not just suggest, but declare to you today, is that many of you in this room right now are flying upside down. And I'll tell you why you're flying upside down. Because the book of Psalms chapter 8, verses 5 and 6, tells us what it means not just to be a Christian, but to be a human being. He says, you have made man a little lower than God. Not the angels, God. And you have crowned him with honor and with glory. And you've given him dominion over the work of your hands. And you put all things under his feet. So to be a human being means to be a little lower than God, crowned with glory and honor, to have dominion over the work of God's hands, and to have all things be put under your feet. All things. Now, in the book of Hebrews, chapter 2, the author of Hebrews quotes, quotes that passage of Scripture and explains it. 
He quotes it. He says, you've made man a little lower than the angels, or a little lower than God. You've crowned him with glory and honor. You've given him dominion over the work of your hands. you put all things under his feet. And then he says this, now we don't see everything that has been put under his feet. He says, when God put all things under man's feet, he didn't leave anything out. He didn't leave anything that wasn't put under his feet. The problem is we don't see that he's put everything under our feet. You're here today and you don't think God has put everything under your feet because it doesn't look like it's under your feet. It looks like it's up in your face. Or it looks like it's hanging over your head. You ever, had, you ever felt like something was just hanging over your head? I just got to get done with this thing that's hanging over my head. I got to write this paper that's hanging over my head. I got to pay these bills. I got these bills just hanging over my head. I got to handle this situation that's just hanging over my head. I got to fix that leak that's hanging over my head. I, 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 I got to change that light bulb that's just hanging over my head. I got to change the battery on that stinking uh, a fire, a fire uh, uh, what do you call that thing? That smoke detector? I've been living for six months and I, beep. It's hanging over my head. You know, you just live your life with constant beep. It's a bill. Beep. It's a bill collector. Beep. It's a family member. Beep. It's a relationship. It's hanging over your head. You're hearing these beeps that are hanging over your head, things that are there to remind you that there's something that is outside of your power that you cannot handle, but yet God says it's all under your feet. The author of Hebrews says, we don't see it. It doesn't look like it's under our feet. And I'm here to tell you that there's nothing hanging over your head. Matter of fact, the only thing that has the right to occupy a position over your head is God. And if anything else occupies a place over your head, it's idolatry. God has put everything under your feet, and if you think it's over your head, you're upside down. You're flying upside down. When you are upside down, the whole earth is over your head. And that's what it means to carry the weight of the world on your shoulders. You have to be upside down. Some of you are standing on your head and you think you're carrying the earth. Look at the weight I'm carrying. No, you're upside down, fool. The question is, how do I get turned right side up in my thinking? How do I come into a place where I can actually see and understand the authority that I've been given in Christ. Well, the author of Hebrews gives us an indicator. He says, we don't see everything that's been put under our feet, but we see Jesus. We don't see how we're going to pay our bills, but we see Jesus. We don't see how we're going to make it out of this next trial, but we see Jesus. We don't see that that family member's ever going to speak to us again, but we see Jesus. We don't see how we're going to overcome or write that paper, but we see Jesus. We don't see how we're going to get through this sickness or make it through this trial, but we see Jesus. We don't see it. When you don't see a way through your trouble or through your trial, it's time to look to Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. Now, Paul said it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He says, we walk by faith and not by sight. In other words, in order to see Jesus and not my trial, I have to be looking to Jesus and not my trial. When he said we see Jesus, he meant we who are looking to Jesus. And he made that plain in chapter 12. We see Jesus because we're looking to Jesus. But if we're not looking to Jesus, we're looking to our trial, then all we see is our trial. We walk by faith and not by sight. I want you to say that. We walk by faith and not by sight. 
We walk by faith and not by sight. We walk by faith and not by sight. I want to inculcate that into your thinking today because the fact of the matter is that it's just not true with the majority of us here. <laughs> okay, we're getting into this today. In the book of Genesis chapter 13, the story tells us of this man Abraham. Of course, it still calls him Abram because he had not, his name had not been changed yet. This man Abram, God had called him in chapter 12 and he was living in a land called Ur of the Chaldees. The Chaldees are the Chaldeans, which are also the Babylonians. God called him out of Babylon. Keep that in your mind because at a later date we're going to talk about coming out of Babylon. But the first thing God does when he calls you to walk in faith is he brings you out of Babylon. Abram comes out of Ur of the Chaldees. His father was able to take him as far as the city of Haran. And then God says, now get up out of your father's house and go to the land that I'll show you. And I'll make of you a great nation. And I'll bless those who bless you. And I'll curse those who curse you. And I'll make your descendants like the sands of the sea. So Abraham obeys and goes. And he goes where God calls him to go. Well, before chapter 12 is over, he gets to the land, to the promised land, and he finds that it's barren, that there's a famine in the land, and so he decides to go down to Egypt. You know, when you go to the place God calls you, the first thing you encounter is a trial because it doesn't turn out the way you expect it to be. God says, I'm sending you to the place of fruitfulness, and you get there, and it's a barren desert. And so Abram said, I better go find myself some provision because the land God sent me to isn't such a great place. Can I get a witness? Whenever, whenever God sends you somewhere, whenever he in, instructs you to do something, when you get there, it never looks like a fruitful place. But it's a test because God wants to see if you're going to walk by faith or if you're going to walk by sight. If you walk by sight, you're going to be moved by the fact that that which God says is fruitful looks unfruitful. That that which God says is productive looks unproductive. That that which God says will sustain you looks like there's nothing in it that will sustain you. And so Abraham, his first experience in walking in faith is a moment of doubt where he says, let's go down to Egypt because there is provision there. So God calls him out of, out of Babylon and he turns and goes to Egypt. <laughs> Are you hearing me today? A lot of believers, we have that experience. We come out of Babylon and we feel real good and then we end up in Egypt. That is, you come out, as soon as you start feeling good about coming out of one form of bondage, look out because there's another one right there. You better, you, listen, when you, come to, when you get that victory in Jesus, you've got to walk that victory out. When you come out of the place of bondage, you've got to stay in the place of freedom. I don't care what it looks like. So he gets down to Egypt, and because he's now operating on his own power and his own strength, now he's got to fully make a way out of his own strength and his own power. Right? You know, just recently I was praying about my personal finances. For the last three months I was wrestling because I, I, I had this business in my heart that I wanted to start. And I thought this would be a great way to supplement my income. And finally the Lord spoke to me and said, Benjamin, if you're going to start providing for yourself, you might as well go the whole way and provide for yourself. He said, but I will not provide half and let you provide the other half for yourself. Either you're going to depend on me 100% or you're going to depend on yourself 100%. So you just let me know what your answer is. He shut me down real quick. But Abram thought he could do a little 50-50 thing. But the problem is once you step out on your own power and you know you're on your own power, now you've got to sustain it on your own power. So Abram got down to Egypt and realized it was a dangerous place and realized his wife was too fine to be in that dangerous place and realized he was in danger because of the fineness of his wife. Now Sarah must have been bad. I mean, I mean for you to feel like I'm going to get killed, because of how fine my wife is, right? So he says, tell him you're my sister. 
right? And you know that whole story. Pharaoh saw her and said, she's fine. She's going to be one of my wives. Take her in. And Abraham said, well, at least he didn't kill me. And God appeared to Pharaoh and said, don't touch that woman. Her husband's a prophet. And Pharaoh got mad. What? What did he do to me? And God said, don't say nothing to him. Ask him to pray for you and give him an offering. Even when the prophet lies, God still blesses him. Even when he messes up. Listen, if you step out with God on a journey of faith, even when you stumble and fall, God's going to make sure that when you get up, you get up more blessed than when you stumbled and fell. That is, God is not as concerned about your progress as he is about your process. God says, if you stay in the process, even if you messed up, stay in the process. Even if you stumbled and fell, stay in the process, because a righteous man falls seven times, but he gets back up again. The thing that distinguishes a righteous man from a wicked man is a wicked man falls and says, I like it down here, I'll stay. But a righteous man says, I'm getting up again. This isn't taking me out. You're hearing me today. I don't care that Abram messed up and went down to Egypt. He came out of Egypt when God said, it's time to come out. He comes out with blessing, and at the end of Genesis 12, he goes back to the, near the great trees of Mamre, and he builds an altar to the Lord, and it says he began to call on the name of the Lord. You know, when God brings you out of a trial where you realize you almost were the ruin, you almost ruined yourself, where you almost messed yourself up. You know what I'm talking about? Where you say, man, was I high? Was I on crack? What was I thinking? When you come out of it, the first thing you do is start calling on the name of the Lord. Abraham went back to that altar and said, Lord, I'm planted in the promised land. This is where you told me to go. I know I don't see anything here, but now I'm established in my understanding that I can't do it for myself. Egypt can't save me. I don't, I'm not looking for worldly provision anymore. Now I'm looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. Yeah. You're hearing me today. Yeah. Now, that sets Abraham up for chapter 13. I go back and forth from calling him Abram to Abraham. It's anachronistic to call him Abraham, but I don't care. We all know by revelation, that's Abraham. It says Abram, but it's Abraham. You're hearing me today. Sets Abraham up for chapter 13. You get to chapter 13, and there's this guy, Lot, Abraham's nephew. Now, Lot decided somehow to go with Abraham on this journey. When he left Haran, Lot, some, saw something in Abraham and said, I don't know what it is about you, but I'm going with you. I don't know what it is about you, but I'm going with you. And when Lot left with Abraham, the Abrahamic blessing began to flow into his life as well. And suddenly he became wealthy like Abraham. I mean, he acquired flocks and herds and men servants and maidservants and, and gold and silver. All of a sudden he became a very wealthy man. When you hang out with Abraham, you participate in Abraham's blessings. You're hearing me. But they had a good problem. They got too rich. Anybody ever had that problem? I don't know what to do. I'm just too rich. I just got too much blessing. And the land could not support the two of them together. So Abraham said, Lot, let's talk. Listen, we're brothers. Your herdsmen and my herdsmen are fighting over the same grass. Let's not do this. Let's part company. You go to the right, and I'll go to the left. Or you go to the left, and I'll go to the right. I don't care which way you choose. I'll go the other direction. Number one, Abraham was not worried that if he took a wrong step, he'd be out of the will of God. He was not walking around worried that, oh, what if it's the will of God for me to go left, but Lot chooses right? Well, what if it's the will of God for me to go right, and Lot chooses left? 
What if God wants me to stay here? And I go, right, oh, Lord, i got to stay in your way. Abraham did not worry that he was going to be out of the will of God because he knew goodness and mercy would follow him all the days of his life and that he would dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Abraham had choices. He didn't feel stuck. He didn't feel trapped. I'm here to tell you today that when you are in the Spirit, you are as the Spirit is. And the Spirit never feels stuck and the Spirit never feels trapped. Matter of fact, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And liberty, among other things, means choices. And that means that when you are in the Spirit, even if it looks like you're between a rock and a hard place, you never feel trapped. You feel like, I got choices. I'm between a rock and a hard place. Now, should I go through the rock? Or should I go through the hard place? Because where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. I can be restricted by neither rock nor hard place. I don't care if it's Pharaoh's army on one side and the Red Sea on the other. Lord, are we going through Pharaoh's army or are we going through the Red Sea? Somehow we're going somewhere. The one thing I know is that I'm not dying at this place. You hearing me? So Abraham was not worried. Now, here's the problem. Lot all of a sudden became an opportunist. What he should have said was, Abraham, I know the land is small, but we're going to have to find a bigger piece of land because I'm not going nowhere. As surely as the Lord lives, I will not leave you. That's what he should have said. That's what Elisha said to Elijah when Elijah said, I'm going to this city, you go to that city. And Elisha said, if you're going to that city, I'm going there too. As surely as the Lord lives, I will not leave you. Why? Because what you have is going to flow into my life, so help me God. I'm going to get your mantle. I'm going to get your anointing. Not take it from you, but share it with you. This is what we're learning is that in the spirit, when we come into covenant relationship with one another, we all share in what each other has. That is, the anointing on one flows into the lives of others, and then the anointing on the others flows into the lives of the one. It means that we, hold, we have all things common in the Spirit. Lot should have stopped and said, hold on a second, part from Abraham? I'm rich because of Abraham. I'm blessed because of Abraham. I followed Abraham. Because I didn't have nothing when I followed him, but something inside me said, that man is blessed, and I'm going to be with a blessed man. So I am not going anywhere, Abraham. If you want to find a bigger spot, you and me are going to find a bigger spot together. There's not going to be any arguing between your herdsmen and my herdsmen. I'm going to stay right close to the blessing. But instead, he lifted his eyes up away from the blessing, and it says in verse 10, Then Lot lifted up his eyes. There's the problem. He entered into the sight realm. Where are the resources? Where do I get the best salary? It's sad that even in the church world, pastors take churches based on salaries they're offered and not based on the call of God. It should be neither in the church world nor in the secular world as far as believers in Jesus Christ are concerned. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you never make decisions based on money. You make decisions based on the call of God. And can I just drop this for you like it's hot? If God has you working in the secular world, it's not because you need money. It's because that company needs you. Can I just establish that in your thinking today? If you are, listen, God does not have you working because there's no other way for him to provide for you. If you need bread, he can rain it down from heaven and call it manna. If you need water, he can bring it out of a rock. If you need fish, he can command them to jump into your net. If there's 5,000 of you, he can take a few loaves and a few fish and multiply it and feed the whole multitude and leave 12 baths. There was more left over than there was to begin with. You never run out in God's economy. You actually have more left over than when you started in God's economy. 
So I don't care if I've got nothing. God, God always creates ex nihilo out of nothing. So nothing scares me. I don't need anything for God to provide for me. He can provide for me out of nothing. But here's the key. Because some of y'all are thinking that means I don't need to get a job. Elijah was at the brook Cherith, and in the middle of a famine, the brook was giving him water, and ravens were bringing him bread and meat. Supernatural personal provision, right? All of a sudden, the ravens stopped, and the brook dried up. You know why? God had a job for him. And God says, I have commanded the ravens, I mean, I've commanded a widow in Zarephath to provide for you. Really, Elijah went to provide for the widow. Because had Elijah never gone to Zarephath, that widow and her son would have starved to death. But the moment the prophet arrived, supernatural provision broke out for that woman. God had a job for Elijah. Listen, when the brook dries up and the ravens stop, it doesn't mean God has stopped providing for you. It just means he's got a job for you somewhere in Zarephath. Why? Because there's a widow that he needs you to provide for. He needs a prophet there, and he's going to send you there. But you you never think that God's provision has run out for you because it never runs out. Are you with me this morning? Lot thought, I started out in blessing, but now that I've got the blessing, I think I can maintenance it myself. I think I can start with the blessing as a nice foundation and then build upon it. I can have a foundation of blessing and then build upon it by my own power and my own strength and my own expertise. And so it says in verse 10 of chapter 13 of Genesis, then Lot lifted up his eyes. And looked to the east, and he saw, he's in the sight realm, that 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says we're not supposed to walk by sight. We walk by faith. He suddenly looks, and he's into the sight realm, and he sees that the entire plain of the Jordan was well watered, and it said it was well watered like the garden of the Lord. He said it looks like the garden of Eden. It looked like the place that God dwells. But then in a couple of verses later it says, but the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked. It looked like the home of righteousness. It was actually the home of wickedness. But he was blinded to the wickedness because all he could see were the resources and the opportunities. The plain was well watered and it looked like a great place to move. The problem was everyone who operated in the sight realm wanted to move there because it looked good to them too. And so Lot says, I'm going to take this well-watered area over here where there's lots of water, there's a river going through it, and the ground is nice and fertile and it can bear fruit. It's just a nice place. I'm going to go over here. And Abram looked at the barren wilderness to the west and said, okay, I'll take that. Because I, I don't care how it looks. I don't go to the place because there's rain there. There's rain there because I go to the place. I carry the blessing, so I bring the rain. So I don't care what it looks like. God says, go there, I'm going there. And me and the blessing are going here. And the blessing is not dependent upon the outward appearance of the thing. Here's the problem. It says, Lot moved his tents over to the east to the plain of the Jordan. And then it says, he pitched his tents next to the city of Sodom. So first, he's in the plain, and he could see Sodom over there, and then the resources look better and better the closer you get to Sodom. So he moves his tent right next to Sodom. 
Now, the city of Sodom represents the place of defeat, the place of bondage, and the place of sin. Some of us here today are not living inside the city, but living right outside the gate. And you can hear the sounds of it, and you can feel the heat of it. And you're living too close to the border of defeat, and you don't have the right to be there. After a while, a home opened up for Lot right in the middle of the city of Sodom. And the house was just so nice, it was an offer he just couldn't refuse. So the next thing you know, he moves right on into Sodom. You see that? Sin has a way of taking you further than you intended to go. You started off just sharing your heart. The next thing you knew, you were gossiping. And then the next thing you knew, you were slandering that person. You started off just thinking, well, I'll just click the link for a second. <laughs> I told you, a young man said to me, he said, Pastor, I don't know what happened. First, me and my girlfriend were just holding hands, and then we were just holding hands naked. <laughs> said, how did our clothes come off? I don't know how that happened. It just, sin just has a way of taking you further than you intended to go, doesn't it? You thought, I'm just going to go into the plane. That city's over there. But, I just, but the minute you entered into the sight realm and made a decision based upon what you could see, you're already hooked by the bait. You don't realize that that well-watered plane was set there by the devil to trap you, to ensnare you, and he was going to lead you with a carrot until you are already in the heart of the city. Meanwhile, Abraham, it says, he separated himself. He was living over by the terebinth trees. Next year, we're going to talk a lot about coming out and being separate. God is calling his people out of Babylon. He's calling his people out of Egypt, and he's calling his people out of Sodom. Does that mean we're supposed to be separatists? No, we're supposed to be in the world, but not of it. The problem is not that believers are in the world. You're supposed to be in the world. The problem is that believers are of it. Can I say that for a second? The problem with American Christianity is that it is no longer very Christian. It's not even basically Christian. Because what American Christianity does is taken the functions of the individual Christian and institutionalized them so that the institution does it in place of the individual Christian. So instead of having a people of prayer, we just have prayer meetings. And I think if I go to the prayer meeting, I've actually done it. Instead of having worshipers who worship in spirit and in truth, we have a worship service. And so I think instead of living a life of worship, I just go to the service and worship there. Instead of having an evangelistic people who share the gospel everywhere they go, let's just have an evangelistic meeting where you can bring your non-saved friends to church, and that's the best you need to do. Instead of having a people who live in the Word of God, let's just have a Bible study so that the pastor can study the Bible for you. When what we don't realize is that the prayer meeting is to stimulate your daily prayer life, not replace it. The Bible study is to stimulate your daily time in the, in the Word of God, not replace it. The evangelistic meeting is to stimulate you to go out and share the gospel everywhere you go, not replace it. And the, and the worship service is to stimulate you to a life of, of worship, not replace it. Are you hearing me today? The problem in the body of Christ is that we have trained ourselves to walk by sight and not by faith. 
And because we're walking by sight and not by faith, we're constantly trying to find a way back into faith, but we're trying to go by way of sight, and it never works that way. What happened when Lot entered into the sight realm? He goes to this place because there's abundant provision there, right? The next chapter, chapter 14, Abram receives word that Lot and his entire family had been carried off into captivity by the five kings that came and So Abram calls out the 318 trained men that were born in his household, and he goes and rescues Lot. He has to pull him out of bondage. First thing, you got yourself in a mess, and Abram has to bail you out, but Abraham is able to bail you out because he lives separate with God. He's in the place where he lives in victory, and because he lives in victory and walks in liberty, when you get messed up and entangled, he can pull you out of it. That's why Paul said in Galatians chapter 6, if any one of you is caught in a trespass, you who are spiritual, like Abraham who lives separate over by the terebinth trees, not messing around with Sodom and getting all entangled in its debauchery and getting carried off into captivity with Sodom, you who are spiritual, restore such a one. You who are spiritual, raise up those 318 trained men and go rescue Lot and your family and bring them back. You hearing me today? You know, the author of Hebrews said in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily entangles. A weight holds you down when God's trying to lift you up to the high place. And and sin entangles you. It ties you up. You ever seen a cat get all tied up and entangled in yarn? That's what sin does. It ties you up and entangles you. It's It's like Lazarus. Jesus says, Lazarus, come forth. And the dead man comes to life. He was in the grave four days. Jesus says, Lazarus, come forth. He comes back to life, and he hops out. He's alive, but he's all tied up in grave clothes. That's what sin does. Even though you've been made alive with Christ, the devil wants you to get entangled in sin so that you're hopping around in grave clothes when God wants you to come into the freedom of the Spirit. Are you hearing me today? And then again, in Genesis 17, when God is getting ready to destroy the city of Sodom by fire, Abraham is up on the hill interceding with God. You know why Abraham's interceding with God? Because he knows his nephew's down there. He says, God, please don't kill my nephew. I know you've got to destroy that city. I know he never should have went to it, but please, please. And Lot is dwelling in the city of Sodom under the pretense of influence. Well, that's why I hang out with all these sinful people, because I influence them. I'm being a witness for the gospel. Let me tell you if you're being a witness for the gospel or whether you're a joke. Say, so, well, Jesus hung out with sinful people. I love it when people say that. Where would Jesus be? Jesus was hanging out with the prostitutes and sinners. The difference is when Jesus hung out with prostitutes and sinners, they weren't prostitutes and sinners anymore. <laughs> You've been hanging out with the same sinners for 20 years, and they're no more like Jesus. In fact, you're more like sinners. The angels come, and they say, Lot, you and your wife and your two daughters got to get up out of here right now. He says, wait, I got, I, I got a witness going on here. I'm going to influence some people. Really, you got some influence? Okay, go bring out everybody that you got. How many years have you been living here? Go bring out all of the ones that you've done got saved here in this city. All of the ones that you've influenced with righteousness, go tell them that I'm going to judge the place and it's time to go. So Lot goes, okay, give me a few minutes. He goes to his daughter's husbands. The two daughters have husbands. His sons-in-law, they're his most intimately close 
family members in this, from this city. And he says, come out, God's going to burn the place. And they laughed at him like he was telling a joke. He couldn't influence not even one person. You know how I know that the majority of members of the body of Christ are living in Sodom? When was the last time you led one person to Christ? We can't get one person to come out. Our witness has become a joke. So the angel finally had to grab Lot and his wife and his two daughters and drag them out of that which God is about to burn. Drag them out. They were so tied to this thing that they saw with their eyes, so tied to making it on their own, so tied to living by their own power, so tied to doing it their own way, so tied to the resources and pleasures that were offered by Sodom that when God was about to judge it, they were weeping and mourning. And God had to drag them out. And even as by his mercy and grace God was dragging them out of the city, Lot's wife's heart was moving backward into the city, and she turned around to look at it, and the judgment fell on her. She could not. God was dragging her out of the sight realm. And she turned back to look. It was looking that got you in that problem in the first place. Lot, the moment you lifted up your eyes and looked and forgot about the blessing, forgot that God blessed you with flocks and herds and men servants and maidservants when you couldn't look and see anything, forgot that all you saw was blessing. Listen, God is calling us to lift up our eyes and see that our provision comes from Him. Are you hearing me today? Now watch this. You go further down in Genesis 13, it says, after Abraham, after Lot left Abraham, Abraham went and pitched his tents over by the terebinth trees, by the great trees of Mamre. And it says he built an altar, and there he began to call on the name of the Lord. He's by himself. He's separate. And he's in the dry place. He chose the barren place over the well-watered place because he was believing the Lord and not believing in what he could do for himself. He was walking by faith and not by sight. He said, I made the mistake already of trying to make it happen on my own, and I ended up in Egypt, and I almost lost my life. And God blessed me, but I'm not going to test him again. So I'm going to walk in blessing and favor, and I'm going to believe, and I'm going to walk by faith. And he's calling on the name of the Lord. Lot is over there in the plains of Jordan, enjoying all of the resources. Abram's in the dry place, pitching a tent, building an altar, and calling on the name of the Lord. And the Lord comes to him after Lot had been separated from him. And says, Abraham, lift up your eyes. See the difference? In verse 10, it says, Lot lifted up his eyes. He's looking for himself. And I believe it's verse 14. God comes to Abraham and says, lift up your eyes and see what I'm getting ready to show you. Lot lifted his eyes to see what he could find for himself. Abram kept his eyes lifted to heaven. And just looked at the Lord. And, Abr and God said, now, Abram. I'm going to show you what I have for you. Which way do I look, Lord? Look north. And he looks north. Now look south. And he looks south. Now look east. And he looks east. Now look west. And he looks west. God, what are we doing? Everything you've just seen, I'm giving it all to you. Lot wanted the east so bad that I let him have it. Had he stuck with you, he would have inherited the same blessing I'm giving you. 
I wanted him to have the north, south, east, and west. But he settled for the east because that's what he could see that he could obtain by his own power. Abram, I am your reward. I am your shield. And Abram blessed the name of the Lord because he knew that his provision was not coming from the sight realm. It was not coming from what he could do for himself, but from what God could do for him. And so he determined, I'll walk by faith and not by sight. If you start with faith, you always end up at sight. He started by faith. I'm going to go over to this dry place even though I don't see anything. And when he ended, God said, lift up your eyes. Now you're going to see it. You believed it. Now you're going to see it. You believed what you didn't see, but now you're going to see what you believed. Faith begins when you believe for what you cannot see, but it is perfected when you see what you believe. And I, I, I need you to understand that point because otherwise we believe that faith is about believing for something that you're just never going to have, but you just, God wants you to just believe for it anyway, even though you're never going to have it. <laughs> so as somebody said, they asked the little boy, what's faith? And he said, it's believing in something even though it's, you know it's not true. <laughs> we are entering into a season in which God says, now your faith is going to become sight. But you've got to continue to walk in faith. Your faith is going to become sight. We see it in Luke chapter 18 and in Mark chapter 10. They tell the story of blind Bartimaeus. Blind Bartimaeus, he's sitting by the side of the road. He has no sight, but he hears a report that Jesus is passing through. He had no proof. He just heard a report that Jesus was passing through. He had never seen Jesus work a miracle, but he had heard a report that Jesus could work miracles. He didn't know, he had no proof that Jesus could do anything for him, but he heard a report, and the report was all he needed. And when he heard the report that Jesus was coming through, it says he lifted up his voice and began to cry out, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, Son of David, have mercy. He didn't even know what direction Jesus was coming in. He didn't know what direction to scream in. He's just turning in circles. So hopefully his voice is going to reach Jesus. Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Son of David, Jesus, have mercy on me. He's just blind and he's crying out to the Lord. You know what? We can talk so much about prayer that it can give you the impression that unless you know how to do it right, you can't get an answer through. And I'm here to tell you that even if you're blind, turning in circles and calling out to the Lord, don't know what you're doing, never read a book about prayer, never studied the theology of prayer, and never got one answered before, if you call out to Jesus, He will hear you. Are you hearing me today? Because you can have an inferiority complex as a believer and think, I'm just not spiritual enough to get an answer. I'm not holy enough to get an answer. I'm not righteous enough. I haven't tithed enough. I haven't given enough. I haven't served enough. I haven't been faithful enough. And I'm here to tell you that it is just that you call on the name of Jesus and recognize that you can't make it without Him, that you need Him. Everybody around this guy, blind Bart, shut your mouth. You're getting on Jesus' nerves. Can I tell you that it's impossible to get on Jesus' nerves? You might get on other people's nerves, but you're not getting on Jesus' nerves. Everybody said, be quiet, stop that. Be quiet, stop that. I think one of the, now don't get me wrong, I believe in order in the worship services, but I'm telling you it's okay to call on the Lord here. I'm telling you it's okay to be, to be 
uh, desperate for Jesus here. You know, sometimes people are desperate for Jesus and, and people get all squirmish. Why? People get squirmish when people are desperate for Jesus because they're used to making it on their own power. And it's uncomfortable to see somebody who knows they can't make it on their own power when you've been living under the pretense that you can make it on your power all your life. When, when somebody has a revelation that they need the Lord, they start calling on Him. And everybody said, be quiet. We're all doing fine. You should be doing fine too. And the Lord stops and says, bring him to me. And they grab him and bring him to Jesus. And he falls on his knees before Jesus. Jesus says, what can I do for you? He says, Lord, I want to see. And listen to what Jesus says. He says, receive your sight. Your faith has made you whole. Translation, your faith has given you sight. You didn't start with sight and get faith. You started with faith and got sight. Because you believed, even though you could not see, now you can see what you believed. On the other hand, there's a young man by the name of Thomas who had no reason to doubt. Because unlike blind Bartimaeus, he had seen the miracles. Matter of fact, he was there when Jesus healed blind Bartimaeus. He was there when Jesus called Lazarus out of the tomb. He was there when Jesus walked on the water, calmed the storm, fed the 5,000. He had seen all his miracles. And he was there when Jesus taught that he was going to die and rise again on the third day. Yet when it actually went down, he said, unless I put my fingers in his side and see the nail prints in his hands, I will not believe. And all of a sudden, Jesus walks in. says, Thomas, peep it. Put your finger right here. Don't do it. I'm ticklish. (laughs) And Thomas fell on his face and said, my Lord and my God. Fell on his face trembling, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said, that's great, Thomas. That's nice. You believe because you see. But you know what? Nobody else in history is going to get this. Maybe Paul. But don't expect this to be the norm. You saw, and now you believe. Blessed is the one who has not seen, but yet believes. You know what's funny is that Thomas had a Greek name, and it was Didymus. You know what it means? It means the twin. The problem is, the Bible never tells us who his twin is. Is it you? (laughs) I think the twin is in the building. Will Thomas's twin please stand up? Because, because somebody came in this who was just crying out this morning, Lord, I'll believe you if you just provide for my finances. Lord, if you just heal my body, I'll believe. Lord, if you just, just solve this situation, I'll believe. And, and, but we don't couch it in that terminology. We couch it in this terminology. Lord, I'll love you forever. I'll serve you forever. Lord, I will tithe. I will serve a ministry and I'll go to church. If you just do this for me, I will do this for you. If you just scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. But I'm looking, God is looking for that reckless Jobian faith that says, even if he kills me, I'm going to serve him. Though he slay me, yet I will trust in him. Job was trusting him even after God took everything from him. 
Thomas said, unless he gives me everything, I won't trust him. Job said, even if he takes everything from me, I'm still going to trust him. Why? Because I, have, I, because I know that my Redeemer lives and I will stand with him on that day. I don't care what I see in the natural. I'm not going to stop believing him. I'm not going to stop trusting that my God is with me. Amen. We walk by faith and not by sight. Whenever God wants to take you out of the sight realm and bring you into the faith realm, He speaks a word to you for which there is no verification in the visible. Matter of fact, God does not waste His time speaking words that can be verified by the visible. Because if it can be verified by the visible, it's obvious. By the way, those of you prophets in the house, that's a good way of telling whether you actually have a prophetic word or not. Because some people say the Lord said, but it's obvious to everybody that that's the case. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Somebody said to me one day, she said, I walked by so-and-so in the hall, and she gave me the cold shoulder, and the Holy Spirit said, she's mad at you. <laughs> I said, you don't need the Holy Spirit for that, honey. God don't waste his time speaking things that are obvious. Make no mistake, when God speaks it, there's absolutely no verification for it in the natural. That's why Jesus walks into the room of the little girl that died and says, she's not dead. She's not dead. She's just asleep. She's just taking a nap. And everybody laughed. And he said, get up out. Back up off my grill. Get out. What he's looking for, listen, when God speaks, do you think he's telling a joke? Sarah did. The people in the room did with the little girl. When you tell people about Jesus, do they think you're telling a joke? Maybe they think you're a joke because you think God's a joke. And maybe if you took God seriously, they'd take you seriously. You know where God's taking us? He's taking us to the place where we recognize that the words of Scripture are true. And when it says, my God will supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus, that's true. Somebody says, then how come I don't have this provision? Oh, because you don't need it. See, I just assume whatever I don't have, I don't need right now. Because there's absolutely no way God will allow me not to have something that I need. My God, I will call my experience a liar before I call God a liar. He said, but you need this and God didn't provide it. You're a liar. My God will bring water out of a rock if I'm thirsty. He'll rain down bread from heaven if I'm hungry. He will, not, he will bankrupt heaven before he'll let me starve to death. My God will provide all of my needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And you begin to reign when you come out of the sight realm and begin to believe that everything you need, it comes from God. That He is your provider. That He is your portion. That He is your substance. And that He is your Lord. And suddenly what you find is that the things that used to be in your face are now under your feet. You know why they're under your feet? Because you're not moved by what you see. You've got to learn to keep stuff under your feet. See, the thing is, when we see something that shakes us in the natural, we move our foot, and it comes up and gets in our face. I don't know about you, but I'm not going to move my foot again. 
I don't care what I see. I don't care what I hear. You are more than a conqueror because he loves you. But you've got to learn how to walk by faith and not by sight. And this morning, God is calling out to his people saying, come out. Come out of Sodom. I'm getting ready to burn it. Come out. Come out. I'm not talking about money. I'm not talking about your job. We start talking this way and people think, oh, maybe God wants me to quit my job. That's not what I'm saying. It has nothing to do with it. No, because we need your tithe. Can I say something about the tithe? I told you when God speaks, there's never any visual verification for it. My wife and I, back in 2005, had $17,000 in credit card debt. We prayed in May, Lord, please allow us to be credit card debt free by the end of the year. And the Lord said, sure, but what I need you to do is double your tithe. I said, Lord, your mathematics are very poor. Because, see, when you pray and ask God for provision, you're expecting him to add a flow of income. You're expecting for increase, not decrease. God says, here's a way that you can get rid of more money. Double your tithe. I said, Lord... We can't make it giving 10%. We can't afford to give a tithe. The Lord said, you want my way out or your way? Double your tithe. The devil is a liar. The devil, you can't stop it. The word is already going forth. We doubled our tithe. In the first week of December that year, that same year, we paid off our last bit of credit card debt. Let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question. If God told you to double your tithe, would you trust him? I mean, sometimes God has the answer, but he won't give it to you because he knows you won't receive it, and he doesn't want to have to judge you for disobedience later. I said, I, I want to tell you. You're crying, God, why won't you answer me? Because you ain't going to do it. I'm trying to spare you. Can God tell you to double your tithe? I'm not telling you to. Don't do it if I tell you to. Do it because the Lord's telling you to. If the Lord's. But can God even tell you to tithe? <laughs> oh, it got real quiet in here. All of the amens and, oh, yeah, we're walking by faith now. Ooh, my money. Ooh, ooh. Yeah, Lord, I don't know about all that. You know, you might tithe on my, my, my net, not my gross. Because i got to pay Uncle Sam first. <laughs> Here, here's the key when God wants to pull you out of the sight realm he speaks a ridiculous word to you it doesn't make any sense if it made sense you could have figured it out on your own 
He says, here's how you're going to do it. And whenever he gives you a word, he calls you to a barren wilderness. You've got to believe that if he calls you to a barren wilderness, you're going to bring the rain. The problem is we go to the barren wilderness and it remains a barren wilderness because we're not believing for the rain. We're believing that God wants us to be barren and unfruitful. And God says, be it unto you according to your faith. But today if you would rise up and begin to believe that God sent you to that wilderness because he wants you to bring the rain there. And that God will provide for all of your needs according to his riches and glory. That the Abrahamic blessing is far greater than anything you can get from Sodom. And if you make a decision that you're going to trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding, then in all of your ways you're going to acknowledge him. I say to you today that he will direct your paths. He will make your path straight. But God is calling us to come out. Even as he called Abraham out of Babylon, he's calling us to come out. Even as he called Abraham out of Egypt, he's calling us to come out. And even as he drug Lot out of Sodom, he's trying to drag us out of Sodom today. And for some of us, our hearts are still going after it. But I say to you today that if you would turn your heart to the Lord and say, God, I'm scared. You know, even Abraham was scared. In the next chapter, when he brought Lot back from the kings, the king of Sodom came down and said, Abraham, I'm going to give you a reward. Keep all of the money. Just give me the souls. And Abraham said, I swear to God, I'm not taking a dime from you. And then he got scared because he realized he could have had something, but he turned it down. And whenever God tells you to turn down something that looks like a great opportunity, you face fear. But in the very next chapter, in Genesis chapter 15, verse 1, God comes to Abraham and says, Fear not, Abram. I'm your shield and your great reward. Don't be afraid. You don't lose anything by trusting the Lord. You don't lose anything by trusting the Lord. Don't be afraid. He's your shield and your very great reward. Let's pray. Amen. Hallelujah. Lord, you are calling us to come out from among them and be separate. You're calling us today. You have fruitfulness in store for your people that goes beyond that which we can now imagine. But first, you're calling us to come out. Come out. Come out of that place where you're dependent upon what you can see. Come out of that place where you're dependent. Where you're dependent upon what you can make for yourself. Where you're trying to make a way for yourself. Come out of that place where you're living with stuff hanging over your head because you're upside down and you're thinking it's time to turn right side up so that God can take you to the high place. Come out of that place of bondage. That place of bondage to fear. That place of bondage to intimidation because what happens in the sight realm is you become intimidated by what you see. But God says, I'm setting you free. I'm setting you free. I'm setting you free. I'm setting you free, but you've got to come out. I'm setting you free, but you've got to come out. You've got to come out. You, I just hear the word of the Lord saying, come out! You've got to let the Lord separate you in your heart. The Bible says, sanctify the Lord Jesus Christ in your heart. And make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. 
You've got to set apart the Lord in your heart and let him set you apart. He says, I got the blessing of Abraham for you, but you've got to let me take you over to the terebinth trees. You've got to let me take you over to the great tree of Mamre. You've got to let me take you over to the place that looks barren to you. He said through the prophet Hosea, he said, therefore I will allure you into the wilderness, into the desert, and there I'll speak comfort to you, and I'll give you back your vineyards, and I'll turn the valley of trouble into a door of hope. But he says, first, I've got to take you out. God wants to take you to a place of intimacy with him where you come away. He said, rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. But before he can cause you to come away with him, before he can take you to the intimate place, he has to cause you to come out. And today, you're making a decision in your heart. I'm going to begin to walk by faith. I'm going to begin to trust the Lord and not my own power. And I will never, ever again feel and believe that I lack. I will never, ever again believe that I have been defeated. You cannot be defeated. You cannot lack. You, know, you lack no good thing. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. You do not lack. God hasn't called you to lack. He hasn't created you for lack. My spiritual father called me on Thursday morning. He said, Benjamin, how are you doing with your dissertation? I said, oh, well, you know, I'm struggling. I'm... He said, son, listen to me. You're living far too close to the border of defeat. And this thing is killing you. And you have no business allowing it to take you down. Now you rise up. He says, you've been praying these ridiculous prayers. Oh God, please, please Lord, just let me make it by. Just give me enough grace to make it through. He said, and I pray that God never answers another one of those foolish prayers again. God did not create you to barely make it through. He created you to have abundance. He created you to reign with Christ. He said, now, son, rise up and begin to reign. I need to hear it in your voice. I need to hear, I need to hear you say it. I am victorious. I am victorious. You've been living beneath, and God is calling you to live above. Now let your soul rise up to that place of reign with Christ. And I say that to you today. Some of you have been walking in a place of defeat and you've been living far too close to the border of it. Maybe you're not living in the city of Sodom, but you're living right outside the gate. You have no business living there. If you think there's a possibility you can go under, you're upside down. If you think there's a possibility God could forsake you, you're living upside down. Upside down. Upside down. It's time to turn right side up and begin to believe. Father, I speak your blessing over your people today. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I bless your people. I bless your people. I bless your people. I bless your people. And I call out faith. I rebuke unbelief and fear. I break it off of your people. And I say that the anointing destroys the yoke. And right now, the anointing of the Holy Spirit is going out over this crowd and destroying every yoke of unbelief, destroying every yoke of fear destroying every yoke of bondage and bringing your people out. Some of us you have to drag out, but by your mercy and grace, you're dragging us out today. Others of us hear your call and we're coming out. But I declare that we're not going to remain in the place of bondage today. I declare we're coming out and we're coming up. I declare it in Jesus' name. I speak the blessing of the Lord over you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. I say it's done. Stand up on your feet. Stand up on your feet. Give God a shout of praise.